4: Bills Podcast.
2: I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
3: Buffalo. Listen, they've won 20 of their last 28 games by blowouts. They're the Mike Tyson. Don't have much of a jab, but if you're not prepared, it's over in the second round. They've gained 77 first downs. They have the best point differential. They have the best passing offense. I don't love their offensive line, and they are too Josh Allen-centric. But my eyes tell me that's the best-looking roster in the league with an unbelievable quarterback. Um, And the other thing is they're so beat up defensively. They were missing three starters in the secondary in the Miami Heat. So you had more, you had you had less talented guys playing more snaps, and then they they were missing two or three starters on the defensive line. So you were they were so thin going to Miami. When you go to Miami in September, you're not facing the Dolphins. You're facing the Heat and the Dolphins. So I think Buffalo's still number one. Welcome
2: everybody to another edition of the Rock Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Colin Cowherd listing the Buffalo Bills as the still reigning number one in his herd hierarchy this week following our loss on Sunday. Somebody still loves us. (sighs) Chris, Monday was a rough day for you, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was uh, I mentioned it on one of the other? This is to break the fourth wall. This is the last <laughs> thing that we recorded on our Wednesday night recording three shows. So we're, I mean, we're all a little juiced. <laughs> you, have, you had you just opened up a triple IPA. I mean, I woke up at I woke up at like one o'clock and st- yikes! And st- no,
2: wow, it's straight gas. So no, no, that's. The coconut is weird. It's a weird. I think it was Andrew McGowan who sent us this beer, and I'm just now opening it. A coconut in a a triple IPA is a wild thing. That
4: sounds like that would come from San Diego and not Las Vegas.
2: It's hoppy, and then it feels like someone just literally stuck you in the aorta with a coconut-flavored... Like, like this is... Like, you ever see those movies where they drag somebody down to the ground in a mental hospital, and they stab them in the neck with a needle,
4: and it, like, puts them... Like, sedates them... Like in, pulp, like in Pulp Fiction? Yes. So I'm supposed to stab him three times? <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, that beer is wild. This what is, is this
2: called? It's called Private Island uh, Murky Triple IPA with Coconut. That all sounds different. I can't believe I just pulled that out of the fridge. Yeah, Let's you, go. So you're, you're,
4: tri- you're drinking a triple IPA and <laughs> you, you have two. You're two-fisting Montuckies <laughs> and then you might have a 12-pack next to you. I mean, this is it. Could only be done one way to record this show. Last, yeah, you couldn't it, record this earlier when I was sober. No, this is a a pain. This is gonna be a pain to get through. I, so,
2: Chris, you were still hurting last night.
4: Yeah, we talked about it on a show that's going to come out after this where Jessica visibly noticed that I was still upset Monday night about our loss. But
2: Do, do you know it, how I know you're upset? Because you didn't call her the landlord. You called her Jessica. That's yeah. how I know
4: you're upset. Yeah, I mean, well, we're good, so I hate losing to the Dolphins.
2: Do you want to know how I know... Do you want to know how my day went and how... Do you want to know how I knew I... Like, yeah. Here's a barometer for being upset. I had four beers. I had four beers during the first three quarters of that football game. Now, Chris, you watch me drink. Hell, I've had a 12-pack since I got here. Yeah. I'm telling you, I had four drinks, and here's why. There was an egregious mispass interference call. Now this is when the refs were already kind of getting in the Dolphins' back pocket, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And my wife goes, "What are you mad about?" And I go, "These dickhead referees!" And my son, ten seconds, my son looks at my wife and goes, "Dickhead, mommy!" And I was, I just, (laughs) I had to put my face in my hands and acknowledge the fact that I'm now a father. That kind of behavior is not allowed. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need a pillow. I'm going to need to leave the room because I'm going to have to develop coping skills that I didn't have before.
4: What it is, is Jack is at that age that Pearl McKay was at when they made The Landlord, <laughs> where he's now at that age where he can just say words, but he has no idea what they mean.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, guys, for those of you who did, did Google it, The Landlord was Will Ferrell. Yeah, that I don't want that to be my child. And then I think the most damning was... I got really upset at the end of that that third and twenty two conversion.
4: I saw. I didn't get to catch that live. I saw that after the fact, and that was. I was hot. I I would be too. You and rushed my, three in that situation, and my son ran into the kitchen to go
2: find my wife. Upset because my outburst frightened him, and it was in that moment that I realized. If I'm going to do this, if I want my son to love this game the way I do, I got to be a better man on Sundays, at least when I'm home, at least when I'm watching it with my child.
4: Okay, well, you're not.
2: Until he's old enough to understand. So somehow, I got to put the monster in the cage. That'll never happen. And you know how I did it? Four beers. (laughs) Four beers through the first three quarters is how I did it. That's how it worked, sir. This was a week that I will remember for probably the rest of my life. As we get into our Week 3 recap, the Dolphins 21, the Buffalo Bills 19. Here's your stats of the game. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa 13 of 18, 72%, 186 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions, and a 123.8 rating. Josh Allen, 42 of 63, 66%, 400, 400. Do you remember the first game of 2020, COVID year? We're all watching the game, the Jet, Bills Jets game at my house. And I bet you, as Seagrams at halftime, that there was no way Josh Allen could throw for 300 because no Bills quarterback had done it in like 10 years.
4: I mean, I think that's an exaggeration, but yeah, we get the point. Josh Allen just
2: threw for 400 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and a 94 passer rating. Josh Allen, 47 rushing yards, which led the team. 78% of the team's total yardage on the day came from Josh Allen. Tua was 3 of 3 for 99 yards, which was half his total yardage, on passes of more than 20 or more yards through the air. Time of possession, the Bills, 40 minutes and 40 seconds. Dolphins, 19-20. Defensive end Greg Rousseau, three pressures, one and a half sacks, two solo run stops to lead all defensive linemen for the Bills. Tyreek Hill, two of four for 33 yards with a long of 22 and 11 yards on his other three targets. All right, let's take a deep breath here. The Buffalo Bills are a very, very good NFL football team. I want to start the podcast by saying that. And I want you to remember throughout the course of what's about to happen that I started the podcast by saying the Buffalo Bills are a very, very good NFL football team. They're the best. With that in mind, Sunday was ugly. From pregame injuries to in-game injuries to officiating to the outcome. And for some people in attendance, it was actually even worse. This is a Facebook message I got from my wife on Tuesday. About one of her work co-worker friends, she messaged me on Tuesday to say, Carrie's husband, Tim, went to the Bills game in Miami and sat directly behind the Bills bench. He said all of the players were just puking the entire game, and you could smell it from their seats.
4: Think about that for a second. So it's basically, anybody listening to this right now, just picture Drew's aroma when he doesn't shower it's the same smell
2: imagine you're sitting there watching your football team struggle you're yourself sitting in 90 degree sweltering heat with no shade you have to watch your team lose and you're just presented with the aroma of vomit for four quarters that sounds like a fucking disaster sounds atrocious Disgusting and altogether worse than the outcome of the game itself. On the anniversary of the 2011 Bills' miraculous win over the New England Patriots, which moved them to three and zero into the top of the AFC East for a brief shining moment, the game truly was a shit show. And it's hard to properly critique players when there's that much chaos. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. From guys in and out of the lineup to the heat to poor officiating. I think our players, by my wife's friend's husband's, husband's admission, played their literal guts out. And Stephon Diggs went on ESPN this week and said that he's never had a full body cramp before. But in the fourth quarter of that game, he was sitting on the ground. He was done. He had nothing left to give. Isaiah McKenzie, by his own admission on the Tyler Dunn Isaiah McKenzie show, was... Uh, Playing every major receiver's role because he and Dawson Knox had to come off the field just before the ill-fated red zone reception so that they could go to the locker room and get IVs. That's the only reason they were able to take the field again. And Isaiah McKenzie was the only viable wide receiver down the stretch for that ill-fated final sequence. It's, It's hard to put a lot of this on players specifically when you're playing in those positions. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so I'm not being a horse's ass over here when I excuse a lot of the individual performances. Because again, you go, oh, Diggs could have done that. Diggs was experiencing whole body cramps. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say about that. Diggs is a tough dude. He played through a core muscle injury. This guy cares about this game. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't fake that. So instead I want to, and again, Chris, the smart people have picked this to death by now, haven't they? Oh, yeah. This is the thing I love about this podcast. Us do moving to Wednesday night actually did us a favor, not in terms of downloads, but in terms of what we do now for the community, what our role is. We're the nightcap. People want to listen to us because we have a certain... <laughs> there's a certain zest we bring to recapping what went on in a football game. But the reality is you have all these people rushing to microphones to try to be the first to talk about well, I saw this and I saw that and this number and then I'm nobody has a chance to let it breathe. And fans are so busy taking all this content in that they don't give like, I don't know if they don't, but it's nice to finish it with just a nice, here's two guys drinking beer, Just here's an overview and let's wash this thing down and move on. In that way, I'm happy we get to do this because I want to take broader strokes with our recap of this game. I want to start with Ken Dorsey and his welcome to the NFL moment. We talk about this with a lot of players. It's actually a theme for the Buffalo Bills over the last few years. I've made comments to you all listening to this podcast about how the Buffalo Bills seem to catch quarterbacks When you catch a rookie quarterback, it's always the third game, right? The third game is the one where you get him. The reason being is because game one, you have no idea what this quarterback's tendencies are. There's no tape on him. Game two, you have tape, but you don't know what his true tendencies are. You don't know what's a tendency and what's something he just ad-libbed in the moment that isn't something you can game plan around. Once you get to game three, you can put those two things together and start to develop a game plan of here's how we're going to Here's how we're going to attack this guy and we're going to influence his behavior. Now, we've spent two weeks patting Ken Dorsey on the back. And in retrospect, I think I realize how every other idiot fan of a team that we've throttled with one of these rookie quarterbacks who they were excited about must have felt because Chris, 2019 Broncos quarterback, Brandon Allen, heard of him. His third game, we fu- the Broncos fans thought he was a viable stopgap. Yep. We fucked that guy up. Uh, the Washington football team and quarterback Dwayne Haskins. He's dead. We got. The- <laughs> ah! Yeah. What's that movie? This guy. He's dead. Take him off the list then. Yeah. All right. That's insensitive. I apologize. Although, is it really? We're not disparaging the guy. No, I'm not going to debate the merits. It's the- he-, he lost to the Buffalo Bills in his third game. Steelers quarterback Duck Hodges. You remember they did a whole promo bit on Sunday Night Football about the Duck. Everyone acted like Duck Hodges was a real thing.
4: Also, PFF said that he was better than Josh Allen.
2: Yeah, and how'd that work out for him? One of them plays in the CFL, and one of them is the best goddamn quarterback in football. 2021, Jets quarterback Mike White. This is real. Now, I'm not saying that Ken Dorsey's career is going to have the same trajectory as those epic flameouts. But I'll say this, his chickens finally came home to roost in this one just in this one day where his tendencies got put on tape and it, they they knew what to... You heard the clip by now from Dove Kleinman. He's got it out there on Twitter. Josh Boyer on defense kind of knew. Like, okay, we didn't stop him that first touchdown drive. Let's alter this because I think I know what Ken Dorsey's about. And from there, they just flummoxed our offense. But I... <laughs> First, there's this overwhelming sense that despite having all kinds of evidence that the Buffalo Bills were going to, I don't know, press your outside. First, there was the overwhelming sense that despite having all kinds of evidence that the Dolphins were going to press your outside corners and send heavy blitz. It was pretty infrequent that the Bills opted to hit them behind the rush over the middle with any kind of slot receiver threat. Chris, did you expect to see more from our slot receivers in this game, knowing the way that they blitz?
4: That I wouldn't. You're asking the wrong guy. I just want Josh Allen to throw the ball and then somebody to catch it.
2: Okay, so that's your level of analysis. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I'd like to believe that if you know the blitzing tendencies of this team, that you would, I don't know, that you would try that you would try to get your slot receivers more involved. Instead, Isaiah McKenzie and Jameson Crowder basically just worked in in rotation, right? One played 51%, one played 49%. Neither one was on the field at the same time ever. I get it you're trying to conserve bodies, but also you do realize that when someone sends that many rushers, the way to beat them is simply slip behind them and make them stop doing it. The Bills never even considered that. You never saw that at all. Think about McKenzie's touchdown came on that exact type of play. Otherwise, we tried to do way much with heavy pressure coming in Allen's face. And while some of that's in the wide receivers for not getting open, both Allen and Dorsey need to realize that this is happening and pivot to something else. It also felt like they abandoned so many of the things that we had done so well over the last two weeks. I'm thinking back to the Titans game and those outs to wide receivers in lieu of rushing the football out of RPO plays when the cornerbacks weren't pressing. I saw plays where the Dolphins were playing off coverage, and the I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity for him to throw it out to Stephon Diggs and let Diggs get six yards versus us running for two yards with uh, with Zach Moss. That didn't happen, right? Instead, yeah. what we did, like. I th- and then I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe they're trying to like save that so they can dial up a shot later in the game. But it didn't they they never went to it after a game that it worked in spades for them. And I don't understand it. Instead, we chose to target running backs and fullbacks 20 times, which was basically one third of your total pass attempts went to running backs and fullbacks. The same running backs that you clearly don't trust to be running backs, Given that the rest of the usage over the last 2 fucking weeks has been minimal at best, it's clear that the Miami cornerbacks were doing everything they could both legal and illegal to keep the Bills wide receivers in check on the field. You needed to come up with something else, and instead of attacking the intermediate areas, you just decided to make the least dynamic players on our team and guys that you don't trust in most other capacities the focal point, one of the focal points of your fucking offense. And you paid for it. And I think the worst one, the most egregious thing that I'll lay at Ken Dorsey's feet is that goddamn red zone possession. You had four plays from what, the six? Is this where we scored a touchdown on fourth and goal? No, this is where we did not score. This is where we turned the ball over on downs after having the ball on the two-yard line. Oh, to end the game? To end the football game. Three passes in an ill fated quarterback draw attempt on Ford plays. You got six total yards. You genuinely must hate this running back group. I think that's pathetic. You have offensive linemen who I don't give a fuck who is in. Backups, what? You're paying this guy half a million dollars a year. Are you or are you not? He is a 300 pound man. You roster Zach Moss. You roster Zach Moss, you roster Devin Singletary, you roster James Cook. Like, I I don't know. Maybe you don't trust James Cook. You think he's going to fumble. Maybe you don't think that Devin Singletary has it in the pants to grind out some tough yards and push his way into the end zone. Isn't that why Zach Moss is on the fucking roster?
4: allegedly
2: short yardage back
4: allegedly
2: no 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 let's not give him the ball let's throw it three times from two yards away i'm sorry i i i can't i can't get past this i would love to hammer on that point more you don't trust these running backs then what the fuck are you doing with them why are some of them here Tell me, didn't last year uh, Duke Johnson had some really electric games for the Miami Dolphins, didn't he? Maybe. Why then, if you don't trust any of these running backs, wouldn't you go to the well and see what else you have? Rather than deploy guys that when it matters most to get two fucking yards, you don't trust them. You will not give them the football. Instead, you as the offensive coordinator think that you're smarter than everybody and you're going to throw it a bunch of times. Into the strength of what that defense is. Now, I could hammer on that point a little bit more, but the running backs didn't give us much to work with. Some of that's not their fault. I mean, according to Anthony over at Cover One, if you take away Singletary and Moss's longest individual carry, the remaining touches resulted in 11 carries for 10 yards. Pardon my French, but that's fucking pathetic. So maybe some of this was just a byproduct of the fact that you, your offensive coordinator is very quickly realizing that my offensive line cannot carry water. They can't do this. So I'm going to throw the ball 63 times. That sounds crazy, doesn't it?
4: Not when you have Josh Allen.
2: 63, yeah, yeah, but 63 passes in a single game? When's the last time you heard of that?
4: I don't know. Probably uh, within the last couple of years, I'm sure it's happened.
2: Maybe within the last couple of years? All right. Well, I'm glad you said that. You, you sure it's happened? I don't know. I know it's happened. I have the numbers for you, Chris, because I have a chart. I want you to open that up, what I just emailed you, and I want you to read to the listeners what I've sent
4: you. Happened in 16 with Eli Manning. 63 yeah. pass attempts. Okay. What, explain to them what I have you looking at. Uh, it's quarterback... Attempts, box score, and uh, if they were leading at halftime. So what I have here is I've
2: amassed all of the times in NFL history a quarterback has thrown the
4: ball 63 or more times in the game. I 63 is not the uh, number we want because there's a handful of 63s and... Vinny wow. Testaverde was the only one to win. Ah, and see, and this is where this
2: data is worth looking at. So what I compiled was a chart of all of the play, all of the teams and players to ever throw the ball 63 or more times in the game. It's crazy that Josh Allen almost said, like if he had thrown seven more passes, which they probably could have done. Yeah. Probably could have done.
4: Yeah. They spiked the ball, kicked the, well, no, they would have won the game if they spiked the ball and kicked the field goal, but... So Seven more passes would have would have tied the NFL record of Drew Bledsoe back in
2: 1994 against the Minnesota Vikings. Threw the ball 70 times. So I, I basically charted out. It's only happened 19 times, right? I charted all this data, and here are my notes and my takeaways, and this is what I get from watching this game on Sunday, because I immediately went down this rabbit hole, because I saw the number 63, I'm like, this is fucking wild. Since the NFL-AFL merger in 1966, which is 57 years of football, a quarterback has thrown 63 or more passes in a game just 19 times. So it's a rarity in its own right when you consider that thousands of games of football have been played, and it's only happened less than 20 times. The teams who have done this, thrown the ball 63 or more times, won just six total games. So, 32% of the time when you do this thing, you win the game. Now, Obviously, that's a very unnuanced statistical thing, right? There's a lot that goes into those kind of stats. Score, down and distance, yada, yada, yada. And it makes sense that a team, Chris, that's down by a mountain of points would have to throw more passes and try to get back in, right? Yeah. Okay. So I took my analysis a step further to try and determine whether or not the 19 teams that accomplished this feat over the last 57 years had the lead or were tied at halftime and what their records looked like. Because if you have the lead, that's a whole different story, right? That shows intention. That shows that you meant to throw the ball 63 times. You, did, you didn't You did have to do it. You chose to do it. Seven of the 19 qualifying teams and quarterbacks were in fact tied at halftime of their respective games, just like Buffalo was this last weekend. Of those seven teams... Four of them ultimately lost the game, indicating that it's probably not a sound concept. Now, when you consider that for all of NFL history, an uncalculatably small group of teams have even attempted that many passes per game and an even smaller group who would act like there's an even smaller group that it actually worked for. And of that group, only 16 percent of that population pulled it out in a win. Like a smaller group of that larger group that you can't even begin to calculate said, we're going to do this on purpose. Let's do it. Let's throw the ball as much as we can. And only 16% of that group won their respective football game. Tell me that that doesn't sound like a bad idea to ever try to repeat again.
4: Well, it depends on uh, your running game and if it was as non-existent as uh, we were on Sunday. Because if it doesn't work, then why would you keep going back to it? My thing is, Ken Dorsey, he has no idea about that crazy bit
2: of NFL statistical history because he's not a fucking moron sitting home drinking beer like I am. Like I tell my listeners all the time, I'm just an idiot with beer and Google, right? But I can find these things. I can point out why some of these things aren't fucking smart. And I'm sure having arguably the best quarterback in the NFL right now is enough to, I wouldn't argue it, but... I'll I'll listen to someone who might try. That's enough catnip to make someone think they could beat history, even if he did know. At the same time, what's crazier, Chris, that Ken Dorsey, a first-year offensive coordinator in the NFL, unknowingly tried to fly in the face of insurmountable history in terms of offensive achievement? Or that amidst all that chaos, our best players being put on IVs in the middle of the game, missing a red zone Possession that resulted in a field goal, our offensive line that's in shambles by the fourth quarter, suffocating heat, poor officiating. That Josh Allen is so fucking talented that they almost pulled it off. Yeah. Isn't that more impressive?
4: Yeah, I want. Um, comes down to that, give me uh, Josh Allen ball in his hands. You would roll that again. Oh, yeah. You had it to do over. Yeah.
2: Because our quarterback is that fucking dude. He's that guy. Yeah. I don't give a shit if he ripped it what. He ripped Christian Wilkins' helmet off. I was telling the, the Dolphins question. fans are like, "Oh, look, he's a poor sport too." <laughs> Fuck you. There's Tell your story walking.
4: There's video on <laughs> on YouTube through NFL Films and I was telling a guy at work about Christian Wilkins before they before that had happened I, I said this guy is one of the biggest trash talkers but he's also dirty and ellen yeah. was kn- pointing
2: to his inside thigh he's like the guy grabbed me
4: yeah like he he's is no, you know what he's known for hmm. stealing other players towels that they have like off their hip like wide receivers or running backs <laughs> like james i think james cook plays with a towel next time we play uh miami if Cook gets a considerable amount of snaps, look for Wilkins to steal his towel. He's known to do that.
2: I've started in lost fights to guys twice my size because of that. Just if you're going to blatantly disrespect me just because all right, I'll fight you. I like the fact that Josh Allen's the same way. He's like, listen, asshole. Yeah, you outweigh me by 145 pounds. I'll fight you. you. You want some? I'll give it to you. I appreciate that. But so it's just a weird thing when you think about the state of the offense. Then you flip the sides of the ball and you go to the coaching on the defense. And I just, Chris, I'm concerned, but not upset. Okay? When we talk about Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. The cover one guys and WGR 550's Nate Geary, along with other associated quote-unquote smart people, have spent the week arguing over this concept that the Bills lose these close games. And just... (sighs) Whether or not they have a coaching problem, a composure problem, whatever the fuck you want to call it, when a team is 0-7 in single score games. And then more people pile into the conversation with what they think are relevant stats and data sets, but then those get argued over because... It becomes a dick-measuring contest over which information matters more or what is the correct quote-unquote information you should be looking at. Or who's just trying to construct a narrative for attention and who's trying to show fans what... When it's all said and done, the entire thing turns into a clown car of stupidity that makes me open a fresh beer here, take a long pull, and wonder... What the fuck happened in this content creation community, community, and when did this stop being fun? It is genuinely, truly exhausting. I'm just a dude with a beer and a microphone. I don't got a grandstand. Either you find me entertaining and sometimes knowledgeable, or you don't. And I hope it's the former more so than the latter. Because any dork can throw numbers at you. Meanwhile, as I learned from the great Don Rickles, if you're going to be ugly and sometimes mean, you better learn how to make people laugh. So it's with that in mind that I want to talk about composure and why I think everyone is upset about this. The evidence has existed for weeks that the Dolphins are not a dink and dunk offense, Chris. They routinely take shots down the field. It's the reason they beat the Ravens, because they were willing to just
4: air it out. I don't know. I would say they got lucky.
2: Okay, sure. Fair. But on that third third and 22 play, you chose an odd cover two look with two safeties, which bugged me for a couple reasons. One, if your goal was to commit to simply defending the third down marker, right? Like, I'm going to defend the line to gain. I'm going to make sure that they can't throw it shallow and get enough yak to convert. You'd go with a cover three or a quarters coverage, which would give you four points of coverage and blanket the line so that whatever they threw would stay in front of you. You didn't do that. And if your goal was to force that kind of throw, so that you could force Tua in an offense that's known for taking shots down the field into making that type of throw, then rushing three absolutely was not the way to get that done. You would have been better off blitzing. Sending maybe five or six guys, seven guys, and trying to force two to make a quicker decision and having your DBs in the back end try to break that up, rather than just sitting back and waiting for Waddle to break into the open and one of your safeties fall down trying to cover him. The decision making in that moment was the worst brand of non committal coaching when you just do it's just you doing the moderate thing and hoping for the best. Now, you might tell me I'm an idiot, but former Bills left tackle John Fina took my tweet and had to publicly admit that for everything he hates about Sunday Drew, he was compelled to agree with me on this point and that he felt dirty having to do it. I can see people's frustration with that because it tends to be the reason like we, lo- we, we lose to teams who are willing to roll the dice, who aren't afraid to gamble a little bit. Teams that are not only highly talented, but have coaches that are willing to take risks. They have managed to get the best of Sean McDermott a number of times over the course of his career. Whose own conservatism, it just means that his team will rarely ever screw itself out of a win, but it'll probably fail to catch up with another team that's willing to put all their chips in the middle of the table on a single play. Sean McDermott's team will probably come out on the bottom of that. Just because... In clutch moments of football games, that coaching loses more than it wins. And that's more disappointing when you think about in this context. McDermott and Frazier just had their biggest professional embarrassment happen to them a few, what, six months ago?
4: What was that? 13 seconds. Oh, yeah, that. I try to block that out. Yeah, like most most of the fan base should where their overly conservative nature bit them
2: in the ass and cost them everything in front of everyone. If that incident wasn't enough to convince the two of them that this conservative approach in moments like that wasn't the best course of action and that maybe they should revisit the way they handle them. Then maybe they're just not capable of it. And I can see where that's frustrating. And it's concerning because when you're one of the most talented teams in the NFL playing other talented teams or playing games against less talented teams where the circumstances stack the deck against you, coaching is either the equalizer or it's the thing that holds you back. You look at the Bills. We had to be the team that made all we had to do was force them to make more mistakes than us, and we would have won that football game. Instead, we They had the botched series in halftime that kept us from making a field goal attempt. The botched red zone possession that I was complaining about. They botched a challenge and a timeout call after that red zone uh, Davison completion where he should have had the touchdown and then dropped it. Challenge it. Worst case scenario, you've bought yourself an extra 30 seconds on top of your 60 second timeout. Now you have 90 seconds to put together the third down play. Instead you run out to the line rush a play in and end up throwing it into the fucking stands for nothing. You get nothing but a field goal out of that entire drive. You could have composed yourself. And who knows? Maybe the refs fuck up and give you the call. I don't know. At least try. And then the botched final play to set up a game winning field goal attempt.
4: What about the ball in the dirt? I don't even want to talk about that. Like, <laughs> I'm
2: too fucking. You, you, I'm too fisted in over here. You really want to get me started? I'll hey, come
4: over this table. That play should uh, be thrown in here with all those with the points on the board that we left, points on the field that we left. For a staff
2: staring down the barrel of a losing streak in games like this, it's okay to question them. It's okay to look for accountability beyond just the players on the field. And it's okay to accept the fact that winning in the NFL is incredibly fucking hard. It's a long season this was a rough game. People want someone to blame for this, and I'm not going to tell you that it's right or wrong to blame the staff for this one. The one thing I do know is that without this defensive coordinator and head coach, regardless of the team's perceived lack of composure, they put together a game plan that allowed a defense missing an incredible amount of star power on its side to absolutely shine. And that's where we break into this week's Hero
0: and Zero of the Week, Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: And my hero, it's multifaceted. It goes to the youth on our defense.
3: Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I kiss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, You know, I'm just a a big, hairy, American winning machine.
4: I would kind of also throw in there, whoever handed out water to the team is the (laughs) hero of the game. Yeah.
2: No, that guy did his job. But you're an ass if you're not impressed by the play of the kids. Defensive end Greg Roussel had the type of game you've been dying to see from him since we took him in the first round last year. Dominant performance against the run really losing leverage, playing a key role for a unit that held Miami's running backs to 2.5 yards per carry, was our team's second highest graded pass rusher behind Boogie Basham, which is wild, who also had a nice day. A quarterback hurry, a batted pass, and he graded higher than A.J. Epinesa in every available category. His sacks were a perfect blend of scheme and also just his own growth as a pass rusher. The stunt where he wraps around and comes right down Main Street... Knows to put his arms up because is short. And he goes, Tua won't run. Like, Tua can't throw over me. He can't see. He said it. A week ago, Tua said, if I can't see, I'm not going to throw. So he puts his arms up, and now Tua tries to run, but there's no escape route. He f- because Rousseau flushes him to his left. Well, Von Miller's collapsing the pocket on that side. You're fucked. It's a sack. Like, that right there was something, like, that's a veteran move from a second-year player. We've been waiting for him to make this kind of jump. Elam and Benford, Elam was
4: impressive. Like, I was afraid. I was afraid of what Elam would look like. I was kind of... I could see that being that boat, too, because, I, what, Benford got the majority of the starts of the first two weeks or the yes. m- more on-the-field plays, so then when your number one pick is on the bench for a what was Benford sixth? Yes. Fifth, sixth round pick. Then you're like, what are the coaches seeing at practice that our number one pick is not the guy over a six round pick? Yep. So it leaves you worried, but you know, coming okay. into coming into that game, you gotta play Tyreek Hill. I mean hey. he did a hell of a job.
2: The two of them combined for four total targets, ten yards and no first downs. Fuck you, Miami. Two rookie DBs. Their coverage window is so tight, he'll add one target against them and didn't catch it. That's what I'm talking about. Safeties DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson. Johnson had a rough day. He allowed 75 yards, but 22 of that came on the conversion when he slipped and fell. Otherwise, as a free safety, he kept everything in front of him, didn't allow the Dolphins' deep routes to get past him and develop into successful plays. Everything was small ball because of the way our safeties played. And at strong safety, Hamlin came around, allowed a single reception and coverage in the box, made two run stops, and earned a sack when they brought him on the blitz. Like, that's the Poyer role. He played it perfectly. The Dolphins only had 25 yards on two or more drives. That's a testament to the fact that their fancy pass designs, by and large, didn't flummox what is an incredibly young and inexperienced defensive backfield, and that their offensive line wasn't the blocking all the talent that we could roll at them. And it's worth noting, from spotrack.com, this from Spotrack on Twitter, the Bills started a secondary against the Dolphins that combined for just $5.97 million in average salary. The lowest in the NFL and $46 million less than the Ravens. (laughs) Who lead the NFL? (laughs) We held the same secondary that they... Chris, the same offense that the Ravens high-priced secondary couldn't shut down. Yep. We did it for $5 million. I like it. Hats off to the players. Hats off to the coaches who helped make that possible. And then you got our zero of the week, which goes to Spencer Brown. You folks fell on your face. You get an F-minus in my book.
4: Can I add two two more into there? Sure. Aaron Cromer and Ryan Wendell. Well, we're going to talk... Ryan Wendell? He's the assistant offensive line coach. <laughs> Fuck that guy.
2: <laughs> we're going to talk about this in a second. I'm happy you brought that up. Now, Spencer Brown finished one pressure off the team lead for the day, tied for the lead in sacks allowed, and only played 28 snaps compared to Deion Dawkins' 74. Yeah, it was it was really easy to figure out who gets the booty prize for this one. They claim he had heat illness. Yeah, I looked at my wife as he was, they were like, oh, he won't return with heat illness. I go, yeah, he was making me sick too. Fuck that guy. Now, obviously, I want Spencer Brown to be okay. But I was mad. I was frustrated. And things got slightly better when Dave Quessenberry came in, although he also gave up four pressures. But that first half of watching Spencer Brown took me back to the Jordan Mills days. Right where Cam Wake would just pants him on national television. I like it. It's it's brutal. His play was a microcosm, though, of what we've been seeing for most of the season from our offensive line, a group that we thought we, I'll put it in air quotes, knew, or at least had a reason to believe we understood coming in here, and frankly have been underwhelming to a painful degree. Through three weeks, the offensive line doesn't have a single starter who grades positively in either pass pro or run blocking. Not a single one. The Bills don't have a single player in the top 10 for pressures allowed so far this season, which I guess is good. But both their starting guards are tied for 25th, with 13 quarterback hits and a sack to go along with it. That's ugly business considering we didn't play it cheap this year. We actually, for the first time in what feels like forever, paid our guards. We paid real money to retain Ryan Bates. We gave Roger Saffold an eight million dollar one year contract. We are getting nothing for We're getting Cody Ford in return for our fucking investment. That's terrible. It's frustrating. It's, it's. It, do do we have Jackie Chiles? Egregious, preposterous. <laughs> like yeah. it's. Devin Singletary leads our running backs and snaps at running back and has the twenty seventh best yards before contact rate in the NFL at two point three. That's not his fault. He just can't get going. Now, injuries from that Miami game might skew some of these figures a little bit. And people will go, well, you know, this again, these smart people who want to fight with you about everything will come on and go, well, you're not taking into context this fucking thing. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I know a bad offensive line when I see one. Chris, we survived the 2000s. We did.
4: We did. That was a
2: We know everything we know about Ben Chantrell Henderson, Brad Butler. They seem like lighthouses in between all of the Ed Wang. I'm old enough to remember
4: Ed Wang. Cyrus Quanjo. Cyrus fucking Quanjo, Venus Demilo.
2: Venus DeMilo, that's that makes me laugh. Oh. And here's the worst part. The people who are now telling you that when you look at charts, like, Chris, I have one here in the notes from Ben Baldwin, and it's the pass protection, pass run block, run defense, pass rush. It's his, like, four-square thing of, like, here's where each team falls on a grade. Yeah, He goes by Computer Cowboy
4: on Twitter. Pass protection on offense, slightly below average. Pass rush might be the greatest we've ever seen
2: we are the best in the nfl
4: and then uh run defense in the middle and then the, run, the blocking run block offensive we
2: are not even like we're not close it's not even close we are the last place in the nfl by such a wide margin that it pisses me like i get angry looking at this that's how far away the bills are from anybody else in run blocking Now, these are the same smart people who will tell you, well, context and then the injuries and the fucking down and distance and the. We're the same smart people who spent the whole summer trying to convince us that Aaron Cromer was going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Chris, we're looking at one of the NFL's most inefficient and ineffective units. And if they don't get their collective heads out of their asses, from players to the coaches, we're all in a lot of trouble. Do you think the players, like, I just. I'm, I'm here talking shit about Spencer Brown. Does Aaron Cromer actually deserve this award?
4: Well, I did mention uh, Ryan Wendell too, the, off, the assistant offensive line coach. All
2: right, then fuck them. They're the zeros of the game.
4: Yeah, this this is everybody. Your fault. Everybody involved with the offensive line <sighs> zero of the week.
2: So now it's not all bad though, because in the wake of every Bills loss, we get to do one of my favorite segments. Because we are, Chris, we wouldn't be the pettiest Bills podcast if we didn't throw shade, right? Correct. So I'm going to give you this week's, just for perspective, to help you out here, people who have it worse than Bills fans, week three edition. The worst. These really are the worst. As we have done for years in the wake of these losses, Chris, let's face it, Shaden Freud is better. Is a hair of the dog like when you're ha- when you're hungover you drink a bloody mary
4: i didn't know that what, what's your hangover drink i make it old-fashioned
2: but isn't that the thing you also drink when you're drinking yeah oh so you just get right back to the well yeah look at you i'm actually ca- chris there isn't yeah, much I'm, not you a do qu- th- I'm not a quitter there isn't much you do that impresses me but that does for me it's usually either i if i'm feeling white trash i just grab a seltzer Yeah, like a seltzer's a nice ease in like, all right, I'm awake. I'm hungover as fuck. I need one thing to shake this edge off before I go out and move on or you do a Bloody Mary or a Caesar, you know, tell me those Caesars.
4: Yeah, Pat Cleary can make
2: a Caesar. The the boys from Canada can make a fucking Caesar. That was amazing. But Schadenfreude, a little bit of pettiness. It makes for a much better kind of uh, an aperitif after a weekend like we had. We take a look around the NFL at teams that undoubtedly have things worse than Bills fans. The first one is the fucking Raiders. Like Since 1979's playoff uh, expansion, to include wildcard seeds, only six teams have ever made the playoffs starting 0-3. That's got to be sobering for a Raiders fan base. Like, the fact that a team that made a lot of go-for-it-now moves in the offseason, like extending Derek Carr to make him more comfortable, like, hey, we're going to keep you here. We need you to keep hanging in the pocket and being a gunslinger. Trading for the recently extended wide receiver Devontae Adams. Splurging on Chandler Jones to the disdain of Bills fans everywhere. Who, Chris, everyone wanted Jones, didn't they? Yep. And instead we got Von Miller. Yep. Isn't that almost like Mitch Morse versus uh, whoever the fuck the Panthers signed? who wasn't on their team anymore. I forgot who that was. The Bills seem to make the better move in free agency when it comes to setting the market at pay. They now have a 16% chance of making the playoffs as of today. But they're not the only ones taking it on the chin there. What about the fantasy footballers, right? The poor bastards who drafted Devontae Adams in the first round thinking that he would pick up where he left off in Green Bay or people like myself who drafted uh, Darren Waller or Josh Jacobs thinking that obviously there was no way that an offense led by John Gruden and someone named Mick Lombardi could be worse than what Josh McDaniels would be would put on the field I've had to listen to people for years tell me that Josh McDaniels is this quote-unquote strong offensive mind. What a what a savant for preparation he is. His attention to detail. Obviously, that guy would be able to put together a potent offense. Oh wait, it's week four and Waller has one fucking touchdown, and he was just outproduced this last week by tight end two Foster Moreau. Oh wait, they have the worst. They have the third worst rushing attack in football. Oh wait, they're not winning any fucking games. Chris, was this head coach only good when he was cheating?
4: Um, Probably.
2: (laughs) The guys from I Am Athlete uh, seem to think so.
4: Yeah. Oh, I remember that.
2: Imagine thinking as a fan that you were finally putting the pieces together to get over the hump in a season where the Chiefs seem and might be the most vulnerable they've been over the last four or five years. And instead, your new head coach has to have a closed door meeting with the owner before he's allowed to go talk to the media. And it's only week three. (laughs) It's only week three. Chris, it's not going to get better from here, is it?
4: No. Ah,
2: Couldn't be me. Couldn't be us Bills fans. The other group is that teams teams who thought their passing attack was going to improve in 2022. The Raiders weren't alone in getting hoodwinked this offseason. Because, I mean, every offseason, fans around the league are fed hope and optimism about how much better their teams are going to get compared to what they were the previous season. Chris, true or false, religion, politics, and football hope are up there in terms of the opium of the masses. Yes. Okay. So it's funny to me that while we're understandably upset about a Bills loss and a red zone passing attack that failed twice, when when we really needed it, And the fact that it happened to in Miami, which kills us all inside a little bit. There are some other franchises that are in absolute shambles who were told they should expect more. I want to start with the Broncos. That's an easy one. (laughs) I think that's an easy one when you look at the statistics. They were supposed to threaten the Chiefs. They were they were being talked about after the trade for Russell Wilson. They sent a boatload of picks to Seattle handed him a fat extension, and I was told by many smart people that all of a sudden their Super Bowl odds were up there next to the Buffalo Bills.
4: Broncos. Broncos is straight up coaching.
2: Through three games, their yardage has decreased every single week until recently on Sunday Night Football, Wilson threw for 160 yards in a game that his team only scored 11 points.
4: I think it was right? like the first time ever that a game ended 11 to 10.
2: Scorigami?
4: Yeah. You- Listen,
2: if they were playing a team, any other team not quarterbacked by Jimmy Garoppolo, you would have had the most embarrassing, a second embarrassing primetime loss.
4: I think the Broncos situation is strictly coaching. Oh,
2: it has to be.
4: Nate Hackett.
2: It's hilarious, though, because look at this. Wilson has 34 more passing yards and two fewer touchdowns than his replacement in Seattle, Geno Smith.
4: (laughs) Tell me that's not dog shit. It is. I feel bad for anybody that uh, drafted Russell Wilson for fantasy this year. How about the Bears? Jumping sides, let's talk about the NFC.
2: Most rookie quarterbacks are expected to improve from year one to year two. We're seeing it in Jacksonville. We watched it happen here in Buffalo where Josh Allen, everyone said, oh, there's no way that guy. 2018, he's a glorified running back. He sucks. 2019, he got a little better. And then 2020, he exploded all over everyone's faces like so many explicit movies that you may or may not have stayed up late to try to watch on the Spice Channel for that shame shame on you. But they were sold a bill of goods. Right, the fans of the Bears, amidst this wholesale, wholesale regime change that took place over the summer, and at the very worst, the expectation was that Fields' athleticism and improved vision, thanks to his 12 starts last year, might be enough to make the pl- might not be enough to flirt with the playoffs, but you would make the team watchable again. So imagine that through three weeks, Bears fans had to wake up on Monday to the realization that their quarterback is not only the 32nd ranked passer in the NFL but that he stuck behind Cooper Rush, who at that time had one start to his credit and had yet to play a game for the, for week three. Don't take my word for it. Here's our friend EJ Snyder, co-host of the Bootleg Football Podcast.
5: The Bears on this Sunday in 2022 had 29 first half passing yards. 2-9. 29. 29. <laughs> justin fields is broken right now as a passer this Mm -hmm. is now to the point where the bears need to be sitting down this morning like monday morning like eberflus and getzi and fields have to be in a room right now going okay we thought this was gonna work scratch that this is totally not working We're going to go back to square, square one. We've obviously done something to overload you. I'm not even sure. People say what's wrong. At this point, you can't Hell, it's not one thing. It's not that he doesn't have protection all the time, because even when he does, he's holding the ball too long. He's not picking up his targets fast enough. He is occasionally delivering a good ball, but I do mean occasionally. 29 passing yards and a half is never going to win you anything. They need to go back to the bricks. They got to strip this thing down to the studs right now,
4: because if they don't, this is going to go off the rails. That's EJ Snyder, friend of the show, bootleg football podcast.
2: That's going to be a part of their. Well, that's in this week's show. Make sure you go download it. I can listen to Brett and EJ talk about football for hours. Chris, you this stuff they're talking about the Bears. The Bears are tops in the entire league in pass protection win rate, according to ESPN. They're tops in the league, miles ahead of the Buffalo Bills. And yet, they're broken. They can't throw the goddamn football. <laughs> and then there's the Chiefs. Now stop me if you've heard this. Death taxes and Patrick Mahomes fighting with Eric Bieniemy on the sidelines during a losing game. You can count on all of it. I want to read you a quote, a direct quote from Patrick Mahomes this offseason addressing the media. He said, the biggest thing, I think, there's going to be a different player every single game that has the big game. So I'm sorry to all you fantasy football guys, but it's going to come from everywhere. So you're going to have to choose the right guy every week. After three weeks, it's looking more and more like Mahomes and Andy Reid are the guys who are going to have to try harder to find the right guys every week. Like, they have one game with more than 300 passing yards. Your franchise tag left tackle appears to be making business decisions, and his play is showing it to the detriment of your half-billion-dollar quarterback. After throwing five touchdowns against the Cardinals, who, Chris, I think we can all agree are ass. Yeah. Okay. They're one of the worst teams in football right now. They've thrown just three touchdown passes since that game, one of which went to a running back. I'm just kind of a check down, pray you can get into the end zone kind of a play. And against a winless Colts team, the Chiefs came out of the locker room with a four-point lead at halftime, proceeded to miss a field goal, turn the ball over on downs, throw a pick, and route to a 17-14 defeat. Now, you can go to Arrowhead Pride, the Chiefs SB Nation website, and it'll show you a multitude of reasons for that. They're talking about shitty play design, where they're getting too cute with the tight ends and running a Rick dennison esque route combo with their wide receivers where everyone just ends up crowded together and Mahomes has no spacing to throw into. The reality is, for as much as the AFC is termed into, into like, this summer we talked about an arms race in the AFC, and there was there was legitimate frustration amongst Bills fans about how everyone was trying to catch up. And you go, well, this is the worst season for the Bills to lose Emmanuel Sanders, and this is the worst season to not have Trey White, and everyone in the AFC is building up wide receivers and they're all going to throw for 195,000 yards per game. The reality is there's one quarterback currently sitting on top of all of this after three weeks. There's one quarterback who no one's doubting. There's one wide receiver room that no one's doubting in terms of their talent. There's one offensive coordinator who nobody is outrightly doubting, right? And that's the Buffalo Bills.
4: Can I make fun of your uh, people who have it worse than the Bills? Sure. Because you left off some things. Yeah. Adam Levine. (laughs) He's he's having a pretty shitty week. No, he is absolutely. I mean, somebody put it on Twitter, and I can't unsee it, that when he's shirtless, he looks like a Chipotle bag with all of his mismatched tattoos that don't go together. My favorite is all the memes that came out. The, Everybody's uh, doing it.
2: No, but my favorite, my, I think my favorite one was, uh, they were like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, this body is this body is like crazy.
4: And it said Josh Allen photo? No,
2: it was a picture of Elon Musk, just super pale. Like, I'm talking like so <laughs> pale that I think the lights in this basement would give him a sunburn. Like, vampire pale. And he's outside without his shirt on, and it's like, wait a minute, what is this? Oh, you know who else is the loser of the week? You, Chris. You want to know why? There's a story I didn't get a chance to tell during. Uh, or who has it worse than the bills is you.
4: Yeah, we're six five weeks <laughs> through gambling, and all my three packs have been one and two since week zero. <laughs> so your parlays are losing. Like you- it's it's not like I'm like I'm losing like oh I like missed one like. I do a three-pack every week, and it's one and two (laughs) the whole season.
2: You're just getting slaughtered over here. So not only do you suck at gambling, but listen to this. So Hugo shows up here stateside, and we're at the tailgate, and he's talking to me about how he got COVID, and he was worried that he wasn't going to be able to make the trip to the U.S. Now, he was here in studio with us. He did the Roundup podcast a week ago. And he goes, I knew that I was really in trouble when – I, he's like, you know, I, I tried to do push-ups, and I could only do 12, and then I was just out of breath. And it took me back to that time when I was during COVID quarantine, when I was doing 100 push-ups a day, and I challenged you to do as many push-ups as you could in a row. And you did 13 and hurt yourself. Seems about right. <laughs> you had to ice your shoulder after 13, and Hugo was just casually being like, Oh, yeah. I knew that I was very sick when I couldn't do more than 12 consecutive pushups. That, that, you, you're you having a rougher week than the Buffalo Bills.
4: Yeah. Hopefully, I'll, hopefully, I'll turn it around. If you can uh, tweet at us or DM us, let me know what games you're looking to bet. i I'm going to, I'm going to need three for this week. Chris is looking for winners, folks, cause he is a loser. Well, I got th- to, I got to do is stop trying to bet like, uh, this past week i was feeling pretty good because i had app State up 28 to 3 just before halftime and they lost 32 to (laughs) 28 like you just can't you just can't draw that up
5: Uh.
4: and then even because that was i did like a 12 o'clock game it was uh smu tcu i bet tcu got that and then went to uh app state and then that lost and then even the nightcap that i had bet uh old dominion over arkansas state they didn't cover let's hit me with some winners at rock Powell report on twitter <laughs> i so gotta what, scratch that itch
2: so as we close the door on what was a miserable football game chris your final
4: thoughts I hate that game. I hate losing to Miami. I hate Miami. They're absolute Miami's... They're frauds. They're a fraudulent 3-0. They are frauds. Send this all to your, all your Miami friends. They are frauds. They got lucky against the the Ravens. I don't put too much... <clears throat> I don't put... I'm not going to go down that hole. Well, we had all these injuries and, you, you know, you guys had the shade... Like, okay, deal with it. You have fifty three players on your roster. Field a team, coach them up. I'm just mad that we left. How many? The pick six, the dirt ball to McKenzie. There's pick six. Milano, drop that. Ah, uh, Milano. Ron
2: Johnson could have had one too.
4: Yeah, well, like, Teddy
2: Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater sucks. Well,
4: Milano could have caught that and then army crawled like you across your front lawn when you were drugged up into the end zone.
2: Yeah, and that, then, yeah, I got drugged at the Bills-Jets game and just hit out. Yeah, no, that's a hilarious
4: story we'll tell on another podcast. Well, I think it's been told plenty of times, but there's the pick six, there's the Josh Allen into the dirt, there's the fumbled snap at the end of the first half, there's the missed field goal, and then there's the play at the end of the game. So that's 9-14, 23 points left on the field, in my opinion, by the Bills. Got to clean that shit up.
2: I need a beer. In 2011, the Buffalo Bills beat the Patriots and took a 3-0 lead in the division. I was there for it. It was a shining moment in my life that I'll hold on to forever. It was one one of the, like, my wedding day, the day both my children were born, that day. That day is up there in the, like, top 10 of days that I will ever have. It didn't stop the the inevitability of a Hall of Fame quarterback from piloting the Patriots to a division title and to a Super Bowl that year. It didn't stop them from kicking our teeth. And Chris, on Friday, I I had a Twitter thread. It's the first time I've ever done a thread. I'll probably never do one again because it's a lot of work. I saw it. You tweet, and then you tweet, and you tweet, and you keep going like, this is one, but continue to the This is stupid. I, I don't have the motivation for this. I'll just lay it out like this. We've been down this road. I watched that game happen. I broke up with my girlfriend at that game, and I felt fucking great. I was on cloud nine. By week 17, they kicked our teeth in in a meaningless football game, and we all sat around wondering, like, how did we get here? Well, it's because we were Icarus. We flew too close to the sun. We had our shining moment, and then our wings melted, and we fell back to Earth. The reality is, like... That's I don't want to say That this is the same situation But forgive me If I don't join Some of you In the hysterics And isn't that Kind of what we're known for Yeah We are the hysterical podcast
4: Well you are True Not me Not me True You have the personality Of a fucking moth Oh no I thought we went over That Well I mean No I have the emotional range Of Terry (laughs)
2: That That
4: we've been over
2: before That's one of the funnier things you said tonight. Oh, man. As I started this show, so shall I finish. The Buffalo Bills are a very, very good football team. And yet you wouldn't know it by looking at the way some of our own fan base is reacting to this loss. And that's what it dawned on me, Chris, is that, like, we talk about how it's like, listen, bandwagon talk. Like, that's stupid dick measuring over well i was a fan since here and here's me tailgating back in the 90s when we were trash good for you you spent money to watch a bad football team that makes you dumber than me now i've had season tickets for over a decade i can tell you i watched a lot of shit football do i feel superior to anyone who didn't absolutely not but you wouldn't know that the Buffalo Bills are a very, very good football team, if you looked at the way that our own fan base is reacting to this game, and that's when it dawned on me that they're not like us. They're not like the people listening to this podcast who are like us. Our listeners, you guys are only here because you are like us. Because, trust me, there's a giant podcast community out there. We are, despite being the OGs, as uh, Joe Marino was nice enough to call us. We are. We're also on the fringes now because much smarter, more eloquent, more pointed people have come and they've kind of become the zeitgeist of what being a Bills fan is and what being in, in, informed about the team is. Yada, 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 yada. They're not, but our listeners, the people who show up here for this show every week are like us. They're hardened, they're jaded. They're bittered by years of disappointment. And as content creators, I'm not out here whining about what's fair, what isn't. I'm not going to bemoan injuries. I'm not going to bitch about the weather and rattle off a million other excuses about why we may or may not have won this football game. Because our podcast itself was forged in the crucible of gut-wrenching losses, sports-related despair, and... What amounted at the time to basically hopelessness? Those Rex Ryan years killed us as we were doing this podcast. Yeah. The decade that came before that hurt more so because you watched a coach quit on us. We got to see Dick Duran get a contract extension just to get fired because he was inept everything sucked nothing was good you prayed for a win and that win didn't mean anything ultimately it made you happy for 48 hours and then the next sunday would come around and you'd get your head kicked in or you'd botch a close one it didn't matter none of the joy of winning was sustained because you the team wasn't going anywhere there was no future in it these fans out here moaning and bitching and complaining sound like people who don't remember what it was like to lose this type of game and have nothing else to look forward to, to have nothing going for you when your franchise was fucking rudderless and you were just trying to scratch a future for yourself out of the dirt as the Buffalo Bills, hoping that E.J. Manuel was the answer someday. And then you'd tr- what you'd sign Kyle Orton in the middle of his second season. Like, all of it was shit. It was all terrible. It li- like, You go back to a time like these people don't understand when it literally didn't take acts of Mother Nature and maybe even God himself to stop your team from winning. Because your team didn't have one of the most talented football players on any field anywhere on a Sunday. These are the DMs that I received in the aftermath of the football game we watched on Sunday. The first one from Elf Tiaga, three yards per carry, AFC's roundup
4: contributor every week. Chris, why don't you read it off to the people? I thought we got outcoached early, but Boyard adjusted. Great second half. Got to be happy with 21 points on 35 snaps. Need a run game and actually catch it in catch it in D next time. Josh Allen is overwhelming. Best QB in the league just is. From Travis
2: Wingfield, who is basically the Dolphins version, former Rock Pile Report guest. Yep. Now he's hit the big time. He's Chris he's he's the equivalent of Chris Brown, and maybe even bigger than that.
4: Yeah, for the Dolphins. For the
2: Miami Dolphins. DM'd us to say you guys have probably the guy the guy who will go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. You'll be fine. <laughs> They're right. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in football right now. And if anything, this game cemented it. Because without protection, without skill players, with an ill advised game plan, and some of the worst conditions you can imagine, he almost pulled it off. He almost pulled off Chris. 63 passes. History shows that doesn't work. He almost made it. Yeah. He's walking on water right now. He's the version of inevitable that Rich Eisen said he was at the onset of this season. Remember that when that we yeah. opened to one of our podcasts? Yep. He is that guy right now. We're watching it happen. So for everything that our team wasn't on Sunday, our quarterback is leading the NFL in passing yards, second in touchdown passes, third in total QBR, and top five for completion percentage at over 70%. And most importantly, he is a bad, bad man with a petty competitive streak a mile wide. It's a loss. It's a tough loss, a narrow loss in the face of overwhelming adversity that probably shouldn't even have been possible, and a loss that if you listen to the players talk and know anything about the maniac that our quarterback is, is only going to become fuel for whatever comes next. If anything, I feel sorry for anyone. The Raiders, the Chiefs, the Broncos, the, the, the Ravens, hell, the rest of the AFC East who can't say the same thing about what their team is capable of achieving. So in that way, I don't think you throw this tape away. But I also think you take from it what you need and you use that as fuel so that not only in December when you see the Dolphins again, but next week when you see the Ravens, you remember the lessons you learned this week. Because you still have the baddest man on earth stalking your sidelines and taking snaps from under center and in most weeks in the nfl that's all you need guys we will be okay until next time we gotta get the fuck out of here right i'm drew gear that's chris krueger this has been your rock Pile report